uh, the Jubilee 2020 vision actually comes out of the overall vision for the church, which I just want to refresh for you right now. Uh, our vision is based in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He is. He's on us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because he has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And that's where our vision sits as a church. We believe that calling is on us as a church. It all signals the kind of church that we're going to grow to be, a community of people who do this, who see this, who express this. The church of change lives. So if anybody here has had their life changed by the power of God, you're in the right place. That's our expectation that God is going to change our lives. And that's what we're about and that's never going to change. That's our overall vision. So the Jubilee 2020 vision is a a way of breaking this down. It's to try and signpost us on the way to this bigger vision. So what are some of the things that we're expecting to see at Jubilee over the next five years? What does 2020 look like? Uh, Seeing a head like this, it kind of reminds me of a visit that I made recently. In fact, two years ago, I I went to the opticians. I've never been very good at booking appointments with spec savers. I don't know why. It's it's not a fear or anything. It may be a fear, but I've never really been good at going to opticians. So I hadn't been for about eight years. And the reason I went was I wasn't seeing very well, you know. I, I couldn't see in the distance very well. It was going a bit blurred. And up close, I could hardly see a thing. That's why I had to go to the iPod, the iPad, the iPad. you get that? That's why I had to go to the iPad for preaching. I just couldn't see anything close up. So... I went with some trepidation. I thought I was about to go blind. I was convinced I had some severe problem. You know me. This is the way I am. (laughs) And so I was quite amused that at the end of the uh, test, this rather young, uh, delightful optician lady (laughs) said these words to me that quite unusually for someone of my age, for goodness sake... My vision had improved and that I was seeing clearer and further than ever before. Come on. I I found that encouraging. And I just felt like God reminded me of that as I was preparing this message for you today. Um, The problem is I still don't see very well close up. Okay, so I'm great at seeing in the distance, but seeing what's right in front of me is still a bit of a challenge. So needless to say, I now have my first pair of very focals. It'll come to you, it comes to all of us. Again, that's to do with age, apparently. But it's something like this with this 2020 vision. It's it's easier to see more clearly where we will end up than to see close up all of the individual steps that need to be taken to get there. And so as we've always said, we're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to show us where to go next. And that's okay by me. We're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit. He always leads us. But you see, vision, just for you practical people who like all the detail, I just want to get this out there up front. It's not about the detail today. It's not about all the practical steps. Vision is big picture. It's the big picture of what God has put in our hearts. 
Or as one definition puts it, which I really like, it really resonates with me, that vision is a compelling picture of the near future that inspires, motivates, and engages us to work together for its fulfillment. That's what I'm going for. I want to motivate you. I want to encourage you. I want you to feel that this is something I want to commit to. The next five years of my life, this is something worth getting involved in. That's my aim today. Because, you know, I think there are some really exciting things for us in store in this next season of Jubilee. I mean, we've already seen so much, haven't we? If you've been around... Any time in the church, you'll see how God has just blessed us and grown us. And and uh, I shared before Christmas, I reread the 2010 vision to the church. I just felt so amazed because when we set it out, founding the church, they were bold, they were crazy things that we said, and I thought this is too much. It will never happen. That's how full of faith I was, shaking with trepidations. I stood there on that morning. And we recorded how God had done so many of the things that we set out. So many of those things have happened. And those things that haven't yet happened, we can see the seeds of that are beginning to grow in the ground, which is called Jubilee. So I'm full of excitement about what might come for the next five years. But I've got to say, and you should never say negative things at the beginning of a talk that you're going to do. But I just want to be honest with you. I've been a bit scared about bringing this to you today. Because this is crazy stuff. This is big stuff that God has put in our hearts. So can you encourage me on the way through? It'd just be good to have your amens and your agreement as we go through. All right, so that would be really, really good. So what next? Where are we going? What are the next five years going to be about? Well, Jubilee Vision 2020 has become increasingly clear to me and to the rest of the team. So it's not just me speaking. This is us as a team, although they may disagree later when they hear the full extent of what I'm going to say today. (laughs) But in all honesty, I think a lot of what I'm going to say won't come as much of a surprise to you if you've been around the church for any length of time. And it's it's what are we doing? um, uh, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Okay, the, yeah, I've forgotten what the vision is. <laughs> it's these very focals. They get blurred every now and again. Um, so what is it that we're expecting to see over the next five years? Well, here it is. We're expecting to see the building of an apostolic resource centre. That's what we feel uh, that we're going for in this next season. It's not just my idea. It's actually an idea I've slightly resisted. Um, it is, it's actually quite a nice thought of being a, a nice sort of slow, uh, small uh, local church in Leafy Sully Hall. And just keep it like that, local church. That would be great. An apostolic resource centre sounds so big and so great and my goodness. But it comes from a whole range of things that God has said to us, discussions that we've had, feedback we've had, been given, and several key prophetic words that we've received, especially in the last year or so. So, for example, in July 2014, Julian Adams came and he told us to start preparing an apostolic base. That was the word he gave us as a leadership team. And then he prophesied publicly about us being a hub for many churches. We can see that even since that time, stuff started to happen. So that started to come into being. 
And then Angela came in August 2014, and she rather boldly laid hands on me and then led the whole church to pray for the release of apostolic ministry and for us to become an apostolic base. And then Ginny came in October 2014. These are all prophets that we've been, uh, that we've been friends with for many years and who know us. Talked about a big girder swinging in, affecting the community and the region in which we were based. And Adrian Horner came in January 2015 and he said, you're an apostolic base, a distribution center, not a warehouse. You're going to be about sending, not storing. Not a warehouse, but a distribution center. So these are some of the kinds of things that have been said. But what does it mean? (laughs) What will it look like? What does this mean for us as a church? What kind of church will we be? Well, I've just got to be honest with you and say we're still trying to work this out. Uh, But I have been greatly helped by working with Simon Holly from the King's Arms And uh, over the weekend away, especially, Simon made a commitment to us to help us to work this out, especially this year that he'd make himself available to us. And he'll be coming up again in April uh, to appoint a new elder. So that's exciting. Come on. And I've also been greatly helped by reading the Bible. So, do you know, all the answers are in there. It's incredible. But I've been reading particularly about Antioch in the book of Acts. Uh, it's, uh, the Antioch church was doing exactly this. It was an apostolic resource center. And I've got to say, we haven't got time for an exhaustive study of that church today. And, and all of the points I'm going to make could be a talk in themselves. But I just want to give you four characteristics that I've learned from this book uh, to help us see what an apostolic resource center might look like. Okay? How does that sound? Are you excited already? Wow, that's good. (laughs) Jesus, will you help me? (laughs) Holy Spirit, will you just come on us right now? We just declare freedom in this place. Thank you for... What happened in the worship, just freedoms are spilling out from heaven all over the church. And I pray, Lord, as I bring this word, that there would be space created, that there would be a bigger vision implanted. I pray, Lord, your anointing would come on each one of us to rise in faith as we hear these words. Because it's all about you, Jesus, and it's for your glory and making a name for you. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Okay, four characteristics of an apostolic resource center. The first one is this, a releasing atmosphere, a releasing atmosphere. And this speaks right into how the church was led. If you turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 1, if you want to, I'm going to read a little bit. Luke described Antioch in this kind of shorthand way. He says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. I like that. I like that just shorthand. This is what it was like. This was the characteristic of that church. I mean, how would you like Jubilee to be described like that? This church, Jubilee, prophets, teachers, apostles, the whole works. They've got the lot. That's what I want. There were also apostles, undoubtedly, in that church. Many other gifts thriving there. But the church was primarily known like this by its gifted people. And I think this has got a lot to do with the atmosphere 
and the ministry of the man who led the church called Barnabas. Barnabas was a man who was known by his nickname. Barnabas is actually a nickname. It means son of encouragement, son of prophecy, son of release. There's just something about this man that released people. He just encouraged people wherever he went. Son of encouragement. He'd done it with Paul, the Apostle Paul. It was because of Barnabas we have the Apostle Paul when nobody else trusted him in Acts chapter 9. He did it for John Mark when nobody else believed in him in Acts chapter 12. I mean, just think of what we would have missed out on if it hadn't been for Barnabas' ministry. Paul went on to write most of the New Testament. John Mark went on to write the Gospel of Mark, upon which the other Gospels most people think are based. We wouldn't have had the New Testament without either of those guys. Have you thought about that? But at that time, at the time that Barnabas met with these men, Paul and John Mark, neither of them had done anything worth encouraging. In fact, the opposite in Paul's case, you wouldn't want to encourage him in what he'd been doing, would you? (laughs) Killing people, not a good thing to encourage. But Barnabas, through his gift of encouragement, created the atmosphere for something to happen. He believed in who they were and not in what they had done. I want us to emulate that. I want us to emulate that in the church here. To be the way that we lead, to be the way that we treat one another, to the way that we honour one another and call destiny out of different people. To create an atmosphere which releases and sends people rather than confines and inhibits people. There's a guy called Paul Manwaring who said this. He said, an apostolic ministry is concerned less about building big churches and more about building big people. That's okay with me. Is that okay with you? More about building big people. Antioch was a church that released the destiny of others. And I believe that this is a big part of what we're called to do. So that in this church, is not a place where we try and contain and control people, but we send and release them, whether that means to the other side of the world, as we are doing shortly, or whether it means sending them even within the context of our own church. That's what I believe that we're about. We've already seen this characteristic to some extent. Some people joining the church have even struggled with this, saying, look, you're the leader. Tell us what to do. Well, we don't kind of do it like that. We don't just tell people what to do. Um, I mean, there are times when we see gifting in one another and we try and call it out and we encourage them in a particular direction. But we don't just sort of write job descriptions for everybody to write, that's your job, that's your job, that's your job, that's your ministry, don't do that. We want to be releasing. We want to say, look, you have got your own relationship with God. Go and get something from God and come back to us and tell us what that is and we will serve you and help you and release you to make that possible. We'll help you weigh it, help you work out the timing. That's what it means to be an apostolic ministry where we send and release people rather than confine and control them. I was just so privileged. I mean, on Thursday night last week, we had our family night, as we call it, where we share news and uh, what's happening in the church. I was so uh, privileged to be able to share about Sarah. I mean, Sarah came to us 
nearly two years ago. Sarah is there in the middle, lovely lady there. She came to us specifically because she felt she wanted to be sent from an apostolic type of community. And then she's off to South Africa. We've got to know her, we spent time with her, we prayed with her, we've been part of that journey. Only the end part of the journey, but what a privilege. That's the kind of thing that we're expecting. We want to release people to be all that they're meant to be. As somebody says, to mine the gold that is within every one of us. And I actually think that this characteristic is foundational to all the rest that I'm going to share with you today. If we haven't got that atmosphere of releasing people and believing in people and trusting them, none of the other stuff will work. I feel like we've already made a good start on that, but we need to push into that as part of this building of an apostolic resource center. How are you doing? Are you encouraged yet and inspired? Good, praise God. Number two then, and this one's more challenging. I'm going to take a sip of water before I go into the... (laughs) An emphasis on the supernatural. Number two is an emphasis on the supernatural. You don't have to look very far to see this at Antioch. They were clearly led by the Holy Spirit in decisions that they made. And they responded quickly to the direction he gave to them. Look at a couple of verses with me. First of all, in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 29, it says that during this time... Some prophets came from Jerusalem, another church, to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire world. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. So this prophet came from another church, somewhere else, they honoured the man, they honoured the gift, they honoured the message that he brought, and then the church, it says, responded quickly, and said, we're going to help with this. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a little note in the middle of the verse that says, actually, this happened, the famine that was predicted. So what would your reaction be, your response, if a prophet came and said, guys, you've got to get ready, in Birmingham there's going to be a problem and you're going to have to help out? Challenging. Secondly, Acts 13, verses 2 to 3, it says this. Now, just imagine this. Imagine being at this meeting. It says that while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, we don't know how he said it, doesn't say, but the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me the leaders of the church that you love so much and that have been so gracious with you and taught you so much because I'm going to send them somewhere else. Can you imagine that? Set aside for me Barnabas and Paul, Saul, for the work to which I have called them. You think, well, hold on a minute, Lord. They've got quite a good job already. (laughs) Really? You know, they're leading the church. Look what's happening here. I think you might have got it wrong. You'd have had all sorts of reasons for weighing that prophecy, wouldn't you? But here's their response. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them. And sent them off. Wow. Talk about being responsive to the Holy Spirit. You know, Antioch was definitely a place that had an emphasis on the supernatural. And you would expect that, wouldn't you, with Paul and Barnabas at the helm. 
But this is, of course, how Jesus trained the apostles. He trained them with one message. Go and preach the kingdom and demonstrate it. Go and preach the kingdom and demonstrate it. And it's clear from the reading the rest of the book of Acts that this is how the apostles worked. Acts 5.12 says, and it says often, actually, throughout the book of Acts, that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Not that it was only the apostles who performed miracles. You see, in several places, the apostles lay hands on others and send them out to perform miracles too. But it was especially the apostles that performed miracles, signs and wonders. Heal the sick. Miracles of the kingdom. This would be their emphasis and the emphasis of the churches that they led. And over the years, you know, if you've been around different kind of apostolic networks or whatever, New Frontiers, similar kinds of networks. There's been a lot of stuff said about the role of apostles and how God is restoring that ministry to the church. It's all been great. But of all of the indicators of apostolic ministry that is talked about, this is the one that said the least, the least. But it's the clearest one that is throughout the whole of the New Testament. Signs, wonders and miracles. Not the number of church plants. In fact, if you read Acts, you'll find that most of the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It was Paul that went and planted all the churches. Just saying. It wasn't primarily about teaching doctrine either. Paul did that. But there were other apostles and there's no record of them teaching doctrine. But they all perform signs and wonders and miracles, which Paul later goes on to saying to Corinthians that it was this that authenticated the ministry of the apostle. He also says that they suffered as well, but we'll leave that to another day. (laughs) And, you know, I don't think that we have seen this yet, but I'm committed and convinced to the fact that I believe we will. You know, over the last few years, I felt God saying to me prophetically to start looking out for these kinds of apostles. Because, you see, when we see them, we'll think that they're prophets because they do miracles. And that's our mindset that, no, prophets do that kind of thing. No, it's apostles. And they will lead churches and emphasize the kingdom with demonstrations of power. These are the kinds of apostles that we're to look for in these days. I think this is something that God is restoring to the church in this phase of our our lives. But here's where it starts. That's a big thing. I know you're, you're thinking about that now and you're off somewhere. It's a big thing. But this is what I believe God is restoring to the church. But here's where it starts. An emphasis on the supernatural which runs throughout the church. That's what we want. You see, in an apostolic-led community, there's an elevation that takes place, not just, of, uh, not just an expectation of the miraculous, there's an elevation that takes place for all of the gifts. They all start to function on a different level when there are apostles amongst us. They function better in that kind of community. So, for example, let me just throw out a few examples. You think of pastors, you love, we love pastors, don't we? We've got an amazing pastor coming next week to speak to us. But pastors in an apostolic community don't just become counsellors or care workers. But they see people delivered from demons and set free from life-controlling habits. Those pastors are anointed by the Holy Spirit and they see power encounters. 
around the apostolic. I remember when I first started out in leadership, I did all this training and I started to learn some techniques of pastoring people. Dangerous stuff. Because I started thinking, oh, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Actually, I just do this. I didn't do it consciously, but it was easier in some ways. Oh, I've got these techniques. I feel more secure. Rather than stepping out on something and saying, oh, I think God wants to set you free. Boom. Scarier. Teachers in an apostolic community don't just teach theory and interesting ideas and theologies, but their words are followed up with demonstrations of power and awe. Read the Bible. It says that. That's what I want. Can I hear an amen for that? Okay, thank you. I'll just check. Evangelists, you know, don't become charity workers, charity relief workers. But they break the bonds of poverty and sickness and change society in an apostolic community. Prophets prophesy in an apostolic community and the power of God falls on the whole place. And it says that people will come down and fall on their faces and cry, surely God is amongst you. That's what I want. I don't want these little kind of, oh, don't get me started. Platitudes, not prophecy. We want the real thing, where the secrets of men's hearts are exposed. So I'm believing God for. You know, I'm convinced, you see, this is my conviction, that a church without the power of the Holy Spirit is no church at all. It's just a gathering of people, and quite frankly, there are more interesting gatherings. That's why people go to the football, you know. Oh, I'm way off beam here. But you know, a church where the supernatural is emphasized, there's no better place to be. I want to be in that kind of place where the spirit of the Lord is on me. And I see, the, I see people healed and saved and delivered. I see lives changed. That's the kind of place I want to be in. Do you? The Spirit of the Lord is on us. Why else? What what would you want to do with that other than heal people and set them free? Break the bonds of injustice. Spirit-powered. And that's what I want for us. That's what I... It's challenging. It's more challenging in a way. But do you know... Oh, dear. Stick to the notes. Right. (laughs) This is what I want for us, but it starts with building a church around the presence of God, you know. That's where it starts. That's why sometimes our meetings are a little bit chaotic, because we don't know who's going to do what next, and it's a, there's a bit too much space, and you think, oh boy, we better keep an eye on the clock. We just want to create a bit of space and let God do what he wants to do. That's why we have things like the thirst meeting. We just say, here we are, God, what do you want to do? It's a church that's built around the presence of God. As we often say, we say, God, where are you going? Because that's where I want to go. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Well, we've got to learn how to do that. If Jesus needed to do that, and he was the Son of God, how much more we? It's about taking prophecy seriously so that it affects decisions and direction. It's a growing emphasis on healing. Prayer, intercession, and worship. 
worship. Worship isn't just a time filler before the preach. It's a time to encounter God. You know, two meetings on a row, we've had healings take place just in the worship. Yes, that's the kind of thing. Amen. Praise God. I'm glad you're with me. Teaching to equip people to live with an emphasis on the supernatural so that it becomes a lifestyle. The supernatural has got to become almost an obsession to us. I'll leave it at that. The next characteristic of Apostolic Resource Centre may surprise you. And it's this, it's an emphasis on family. And I can't get this directly out of Antioch. It's more implied than stated. So Antioch, for example, was the first community to become known collectively as Christians. Their group was so identified with one another, Christian uh, became like a family name to them. That's in Acts chapter 11. And they obviously had a very close and affectionate relationship with Paul and Barnabas. There's obviously a great heart connection between the people there. But the idea of family and this being an apostolic emphasis runs throughout the whole Bible, which is why I feel I must include it here. You know, I've got to be honest with you. I used to think that family and being family together as the people of God was just a nice, rather quaint idea for lonely or even slightly odd people. (laughs) But it's not. It's what being born again is all about. Jesus died so that we could be part of his family with God as our father. What have I missed? There it is, the apostolic emphasis, the fatherhood of God, meaning that every one of us must have an encounter with God as our father. Otherwise, your relationship with God will be dysfunctional and with the rest of the family too, by the way. We all need to know personally his unconditional love for us and acceptance. We need that encounter. You see, the church is not a club to be joined, but a family that you get born into with God as our father. That was a good thing I said there. I'm going to say it again. The church is not a club to be joined, but a family you get born into with God as your father. Are you part of the church? You're part of the family of God. Hallelujah. Now, I believe firmly that the Father Heart of God ministry is here to stay. That it's another part of what God has been restoring to the church in apostolic ministry. It's not just a a season that we've been through, as some have been. I believe that it's here to stay, and it's part of that restoration. And you see, in an apostolic community, we, 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 we talk more about fathers and mothers than leaders, because fathers and mothers have sons and daughters who become fathers and mothers themselves. And that's what we want. That's a truly apostolic community. It's a healthy family model. And it's what we see modelled in heaven. If we've got that heaven supernatural obsession, we'll look into heaven and say, what's going on there? That's what we want to hear. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in family union together. You know, and I think people everywhere need to belong and to be part of a family like that. You know, it's how God created us to be. And we've all got a role in that. You do know that, don't you? 
we've all got a role in that, to get loved up unconditionally by God as Father and then give it away to somebody else. And for the love of God to be our primary motivation in seeking the lost and introducing them to a loving father and his family on earth. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know God's love for you? Does anybody know God's love for them? Because when it gets you right there, you just got to give it away. It changes your whole perspective on life and on the world. I don't know if you're aware that our carol service we had, um, it was probably a bit last minute and a bit kind of all that because, well, we were moving buildings. It was a bit scary trying to get it all ready and together. And, you know, we were hoovering on the morning (laughs) trying to get this place clean. But we had more unbelievers in that meeting than we've had in any other carol service. And I had so many conversations. And it was quite a formal sort of carol service, not our usual style, I guess. Preach the gospel, that was good. But people uh, spoke to me afterwards who were unbelievers said, we felt so overwhelmed. There's one, two people who couldn't stop crying through the whole of the worship. Just overwhelmed with, well, they didn't know what to call it. They just said, peace. I said, oh, that's the presence of God. And then one lady spoke to us afterwards and said, um, do you know, I feel the same thing here today that I always feel when Alison hugs me at toddlers. <laughs> Come on. She feels the love of God. And that lady's having some very interesting conversations right now, and we need her to get saved, don't we? We need her to encounter the love of God and then accept it for herself and be brought into the family of God. Amen. So that's an emphasis on family. Final characteristic of an apostolic resource centre for today anyway. There are more, but I can only do four today, and it's this, that people are trained and equipped to impact their world. A phrase I got from someone else, but I thought that was a good phrase. And there was a big emphasis at Antioch on this. In Acts 11.26, it tells us that they had a whole year of input from Paul and Barnabas. Can you imagine? That must have been incredible. And as we've seen in Acts 13.1, the church was even defined by their prophets and teachers. And Acts 15.35 says that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of God with many others too. So there were obviously many other prophets, teachers and apostles in the church there. And there's a phrase I often use when it comes to doing church. And it is this, that we must create disciples, not dependents, which of course is a fathering model. It's what every parent wants, that each of our children will grow up to be confident and secure so that they are well equipped to live independently and eventually to have their own families. I mean, it's the definition of what successful parenting looks like, isn't it? You see, it's horrible seeing them grow up. You know, my daughter's about to go to university and all that kind of thing. You just think, oh, it's all letting go. It start, you look after them, you look after them, and then it's a process of just letting them go continually. And you just hope that what you put in will put them in good stead for what they go into. But that's the definition of successful parenting, that they can do that, that they want to do that. Not that they want to leave you, but, you know, I hope. But why should it be any different for church family? Now, I want each and every one of us to thrive and grow strong in God. 
I want us all to be men and women who have a strong and robust faith, not just the elders, not just the leaders or the full-timers. They've got a strong faith, but, you know, we need them to look after us. I want everybody to be walking closely with God, hearing from God, having a strong faith for themselves. Disciples, not dependents. This means that our primary pastoral model as a church is on training and equipping one another, not doing it for you. And that means, for example, that we would all know how to pray for somebody, lay hands on them for healing, hear from God for ourselves. All of us get to encounter God. All of us get to be used by God. As John Wimber used to say, we all get to play. Does that excite you? Just thought I'd check. It doesn't mean that we don't need the help and support of one another every now and again or or more more than every now and again. But even in this, our heart is to be able to equip that person so that they can uh, function in their faith, their independent individual faith in God together with the church. We want everyone to be equipped and released to be all that they can be in God. And this is a big part of the resource center bit of the vision. And we're already making plans Uh, We've been limited to some extent by buildings, but now, look, we've got a building. We can do stuff. Now we're kind of thinking, oh, what can we do? We can do so much. Where do we start? But we've been having conversations about courses and training events we want to run for the church over the next year or so. saying year or so, so it gives me a bit of time. (laughs) I've been talking uh, with Simon Clay particularly about running some kind of basic theology course. Um, I would love to run a prophecy training school. Anybody fancy going to that? I think that would be great. And the apostolic part of the resourcing comes back in because, of course, these, these courses, I believe, will grow to be open to others too. We'd expect others to want to come and be part of that, other churches that are connected to us because I really believe that God's given us something to give away. <laughs> you know, it says in the Bible that if you give, it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. So I want to give a lot. So we get a lot. <laughs> But this resourcing, I think, will also go outside the church and affect our community. And, you know, over the next couple of years, we want to see some add-ons to some of the stuff we've been doing in the community. So the Todd group has just been incredibly successful. Some amazing relationships have come from that. But we want to add to that further support for families in Solihull. We really believe that's part of our calling to resource families. We've got a love for families. You'd expect that in a fathering congregation wouldn't you so we're looking to find ways to supporting families so things like parenting courses marriage courses which the church would be able to benefit from too but it'd be great wouldn't it if we had unbelievers sitting there and talking about well how does marriage work what does what does the bible say about that then and money management debt advice we want to make a difference in our community we want to resource our community and i think that resourcing for us will also mean that we'll run some conferences which we hope will grow and have national and international effect, even in the setting out of this room and that kind of thing. That's in our minds. How would we run a conference here? How would we get 400 people in this room? That kind of thing. We want to try and think about those sorts of practical issues. So we've already been encouraged or even invited or strongly encouraged to run our own prophetic conference or Father's Heart conference. We'll see. We'll we'll see what God says. And just watch this space. 
and we'll have further news as we go along. But if we do, really want you to be there and supporting it and helping this to happen. And it's because all this outward pushing stuff is one of the one of the things about the apostolic. It, it, it always pushes outwards. It wants impact and change society. It wants to impact the world. It's like an inward pressure that is always looking outwards to the wider church and to other nations. So you'd expect that kind of thrust to be growing amongst us over the next few years. So four characteristics of an apostolic resource center that I've shared with you. And I've got to say, there are so many more. Um, I could have talked from Antioch about multicultural makeup. I could have talked about its sending ministries to other churches. I could have talked about missionaries to other parts of the world. I could have talked about their ministry to the poor. All of those are part of what it means to be an apostolic resource centre. But these four I felt to emphasise today, and those around me will testify how I've agonised over which ones to share today, but those are the four I feel most clearly to share. A releasing atmosphere, a supernatural emphasis, an emphasis on family, training and equipping people to impact the world. That's because I feel that although all of these characteristics I've talked about will eventually be seen in Jubilee, some are already there, these are the ones I think will emerge most clearly over the next five years. We're building an apostolic resource centre, which means that we are building something that's wider than just Jubilee. That's how we need to think about this. These are the ones, um, and all of these will uh, impact other churches and regions and nations. You've already heard some of the stuff about we're doing this in France, we're going to be doing that over there in South Africa, and there's other stuff coming through at the moment. But that's what our expectation will be. So, we need to get ready for sending some people, receiving some people, and equipping some people because God's on us his spirit is on us and he wants us to affect the whole world with his glory amen